Cause when all your dreams have fallen through And your plans come crashing in on you Don't lose hope no matter how it seems Cause faith will take you closer Faith will keep you safer. Faith will take you farther than your dreams. Let's pray together before we uh, move on. Father, we are grateful and we are mindful as we enter your presence this morning with our prayers. Father, we're, mi- we're mindful of your faithfulness to your people. We're mindful of your grace and your mercy that, were in, that was anew this morning when we woke up. Father, we, we are here in this church, uh, First Baptist Church, on this, this wonderful Lord's Day, beautiful day that you have created for us to worship you. And so, Father, I'm thankful that, that, that my brothers and sisters are here to worship, uh, to really offer a gift of worship to you this morning, Father, for all that you've done. Uh, Lord, as, as, uh, as your faithfulness has endured throughout the generations, um, Father, we are presently aware that your faithfulness abides among us still. And so, Father, please receive this gift of worship uh, as our offering to you. Uh, Father, may our hearts be drawn closer to you. May the preaching of your word, um, may it redeem souls. Uh, Father, may the, the worship uh, through the music, uh, may it edify us in our spiritual walk with you. Father, most of all, we, we want to, to, to be thankful uh, of Christ. As we have, are working through this sermon series this morning, we know that all things point to Christ. Father, whether it's um, scripture, um, Father, whether it's faith, whether it's grace, it all comes back to Christ. And so, Father, may he be the theme, may he receive the preeminence among us this morning uh, as we worship this morning together. Father, as our hearts and our souls are, are lifted in one unison, uh, Father, we pray that our hearts are drawn closer to you, and Father, that you are glorified by what we offer. We pray all of this now in Jesus' name, and amen. Today you will hear a lot about God's Word, and all the songs that we're going to sing today have to do with God's Word. It is, God's Word is life for us. It is our breath. And let's begin by singing wonderful words of life. Let's stand together as we sing and worship. Sing them over again to me, wonderful words of life. Let me warm their beauty sing, wonderful words of life. Words of life and beauty, teach me faith and Yeah. 
There's a responsive reading we were going to do together, and it's about God's Word. I'll begin by reading uh, the first part as worship leader, and then you will follow uh, the second part, and the words are on the screen. So let's read God's Word together. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight. straight. With my whole heart I have sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I may not sin against thee. Let's sing together ancient words.
most appropriately so comes our text from 2 Peter 1, 16 through 21. Concerning his ancient words, Peter wanted to assure uh, his readers that the scriptures were of God. And so he says this in his second epistle, uh, chapter 1. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses to his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my son, or beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice, which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but by holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Amen. May the word of God be read in the house of God this morning. Let's stand together as we sing, word of God speak. Chuck's going to sing the verses and congregation and choir will come in and sing the chorus with us. At a loss for words And the funny thing is It's okay The last thing I need Is to be heard But to hear What you would say Word of God speak Would you pour down like rain, washing my eyes to see your majesty, to be still and know that you're in this place. Please let me stay and rest in your holiness. Finding myself in the midst of you, beyond the music, beyond the noise. All that I need is to be with you, and in the quiet, hear your voice, word of God speak. Would you pour down like rain, washing my eyes to see your majesty, to be still and know that you're in this place. Please let me stay and rest in your holiness. Word of God, speak. Would you pour down like rain? Washing my eyes to see your majesty To be still and know that you're in this place Please let me stay and rest in your holiness Word of God speak Word of God 
God speak Gary Houston will lead us in our offertory prayer let's pray Heavenly Father we praise you for whatever what has already taken place this morning during our Sunday school hour the uh, scripture that uh, came known to us that we're so familiar with, but it's so refreshing to hear once again. Thank you for, and we praise you for the song that has been said, uh, sung this morning. Thank you for uh, the gift of music and the musicians that lead us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our veterans, the ones who have served and the ones who are serving right now. Uh, keep them safe. Watch over them and protect them. Be with their families. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this church, this, uh, this community. May we be a shining light in this community and, and uh, be for what you stand for and not uh, for man. Heavenly Father, be with Ben as he brings the message. Be with him. Give him words. Give him wisdom. Give him uh, direction. Give us that as we uh, go forth uh, throughout. Heavenly Father, we ask that you be with us this morning as we offer up our tithes and offerings. We may be used for your kingdom, that it may glorify you and not man. In Christ's name, amen. All right, amen. Thank you, Brother Richard, musicians. And um, thank you all for joining together with your hearts and your voices and worship to the Lord. We're going to be in the book of 2 Timothy this morning. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to begin reading in verse 14. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17 is the destination. Now we are on sermon 4 of our five solas uh, sermon series. So that means we have one left, right, if I did my math correct. No, I'm not a math major. You all have known me long enough to know not to trust my math. But I'm pretty sure we have one more sermon left in this series. So far, uh, just to recap, we've looked at sola gratia, uh, by grace alone, sola fide, by faith alone. Last week, we looked at solus Christus, by Christ alone. And so today, we're going to look at sola scriptura, which means by scripture alone. Now, one of the most prominent and most powerful texts given to us in scripture uh, for its profitableness is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. We're going to use this as our destination text today as we give God honor for all that uh, he has given us through Scripture. So let's stand together and let's read this, this text, this wonderful uh, text from our brother Paul as he instructs Timothy in this way. He says in verse 14, But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of, man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let's pray.
Father, we come to you now at this time of our service as we have musically reflected on the, the wonderful words of life. Uh, Father, the, the words of God that speak to us through the worship of the music and now comes to us in the reading of your word. Father, I pray now that as your word has been read, that it is blessed. Uh, Father, that it not return unto you void, but yet it accomplishes that which you desire today. Father, my lips uh, be humbled and serve this commentary to do honor to this text. And so I pray this now in Jesus' name. And amen. All right. Go ahead and have a seat. So sola scriptura was one of the battle cries that came out of the Reformation and that we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna look at today. Because it, it, was, it was necessary that sola scriptura become one of the themes that would emerge uh, in that because the, 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 the reformers wanted to realign the, the believer, the, 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 the mind and the heart, uh, that, that, that the belief in, in salvation didn't come through the Catholic Church or the Pope or any other uh, ecclesiastical body, but it came through Christ. Salvation is a gift of God, as we've already talked, by grace, through faith, in Christ, and today by Scripture, and ultimately to the glory of God, as we're going to look at next week. Now, to further appreciate sola scriptura, we must understand that when we use the word scripture, we're talking about the, the entirety of the written word of God, okay? When we talk about scripture, we're talking about the 66 canonized books that are authoritative, that are sufficient, and that are infallible for all matters of salvation and righteousness, right? We have to know this before we can begin. We have to understand, as Paul says in our text today, that all Scripture is given to us by inspiration of God and is thus authoritative because it was breathed by the very mouth of God. It is sufficient because it contains all truth that pertain to salvation and righteousness. And they are infallible because they are preserved and sustained by the very Spirit of God. Well, that is the essence of sola scriptura. But another thing that we should note before we begin, and I'd really like to maybe start here, because one of the, the biggest criticisms that I get uh, in the ministry, and I have throughout my entire career almost, is the, critic, the criticism that suggests that the Bible that we have in front of us, the scriptures that we have before us in our very hands, the question of how can we trust that what we have was what God said? That it is, in fact, God's word. Because a lot of times people will, will want to believe that, that what we have has been modified, that it's been changed. To the questions of how can one trust that what we have today is what was originally written? How do we know that it hasn't been modified? How do you know that, that, that what Paul wrote to Timothy in this second letter is accurate? And it's one of the questions that on its face seems legitimate. And we do have to reconcile at some point. I mean, in our own lives and ministry, we're going to take these words and we're going to believe them, at least unto faith, so that it can be counted us to righteousness so that we can be saved. Then we have to at least at some point reconcile that question. And the simple answer to these questions is that the Bible is not like any other book ever written. In fact, 
If you take all the books from antiquity and you take all the books throughout the centuries, there is not a book out there that, has, that is as preserved and as verifiable as the Bible. The Bible itself has tens of thousands of fragments and manuscripts that attest to its origin. Further, it has been meticulously cared for over thousands of years by people who loved it and kept it pure and unaltered, even across many languages. Right? When you get into transliterating Scripture, right? I, I, I know we, in our own English-speaking capacity, we at some point did not speak Hebrew, Aramaic, or Greek. Did you? Do you? Because if you do, I'd love to talk to you sometime. But, but none of us, we're all English speakers. And so at some point, the Bible had to be transliterated from its original texts into English. There's risk when you do that. And so it had to be done with care. And so if we doubt any of the statements uh, that suggest the integrity of Scripture then we have archaeological evidence, specifically the finding of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Man, you start getting into the, the things that were found that verify Scripture. I mean, you, you start getting into some very deep stuff. And for, for example, the Old Testament. Every book of the Old Testament was found in the Dead Sea Scrolls except for Esther. In fact, these, these manuscripts, these, these documents that we found in the Dead Sea Scrolls predate any other text that we've ever had. 250 B.C. even, as late as those times. Every Old Testament book was documented. It was captured. In fact, the scroll of Isaiah was the only one found whole. And when compared to the Masoretic text or when compared to other writings that were used to compile the English translation of the Bible, what we found in the scroll of Isaiah and the Mesoretic text was that it were virtually identical. These two documents, the scroll of Isaiah that was found and the Mesoretic text that was used to form the, the King James New or Old Testament, they were nearly identical, thousands of years apart. Consider that. Okay, this isn't just happenstance or circumstance. How does a text that was written a thousand years before the, the, the text that, was, that, we, that we use to form the English translation of the Bible, how does it contain no error? And how could one question such veracity? Well, they do. And they do because they're unbelieving. Uh, since then, we have... Our English translations of the scriptures today that, that we can have full confidence that what we read today in our hands is of preserved accuracy. They are dependable. The scriptures, I mean. They are reliable. When we take them and we read them, we can know that they, are, that they have rather endured. And so Paul gives to us, he gives Timothy, he gives us assurance this morning. He says in verse 14, you've got to continue in the things which you've been assured of, that you've learned, knowing that from childhood you have known these scriptures which are able to make you wise into salvation. Take Timothy out of that and then put yourself in there. Not to, 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 to modify scripture, but to say that you have the same capacity. This morning you have known the scriptures the entirety of your life. 
You have to be assured of that. You have to trust that, that they are able to make you wise into salvation. And as that capacity begins to set in, we begin to understand the real reason that Scripture is profitable. And that's what Paul goes into in verse 16. I'd like to make this the theme this morning of our text to really kind of draw out sola scriptura and why the text, why Scripture is enough, why it's sufficient alone to say. First thing that Paul says in verse 15 is that the Scriptures are able to make you wise unto salvation. The first thing, sola scriptura, the first thing Scripture is, do, is good for is that it's sufficient to provide or to, to, to make salvation possible is sufficient for salvation paul says in in romans chapter 10 verse 17 faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of god so when we hear the word of god we have this ability to believe in faith that makes us wise unto salvation as we've already discussed salvation is a gift of god it comes by grace, there's the means, it comes, it comes through faith, there's the mode, and it comes in Christ, who is the one who made salvation possible. And so if faith comes by the hearing of God's word, it's, it's, it, there's basically something more to it, because I don't know of any other book that has, that has enabled someone to be saved from eternal destruction. No other book on the earth has that capacity. So it's somewhere in the heart where the preaching of the word begins to be presented that makes one wise. Because the heart is of specific consequence to God. It is where the appeal is made to be saved. So when God's word is sent forth, its goal, as Paul says, is to convict, to redeem, to transform, and to establish righteousness. If it simply finds its way into the mind It's just purely academic. And I know a lot of people who know a lot of things about the scriptures, but the Bible says even the demons believe and tremble. But they do not have salvation. They do not merit salvation simply because they know. I know a lot of people who claim to know a lot of things about scripture, but they are not redeemed. They are not regenerate. They are not of the faith. The words of God simply find their way into the flesh. It's little more than entertainment. I mean, and that's what we have wholly made uh, Christianity in America. Almost, we've almost reduced it to that capacity. That the word of God is more of a speed bump on our way to just being entertained. That we're going to get together and we're going to have a, a, we're going to have a good old time. We're going to have a, a, a this and we're going to have that. And, we're gonna, and then, oh, by the way, we'll slide the word of God in there somewhere so that we can say it's Christian. I mean, that's really the entirety of what Christianity has become in the States. The word of God is not central. It's not the thesis. It's not the theme that, that we gather around. It's not the, the meal, if you will, at the table. The children are too busy playing out in the yard to even come in to sit down and eat. That's what we've got in Christian or American Christianity. Just a bunch of play, just a bunch of playtime, just a bunch of entertainment. As long as I leave church feeling like I experienced something, doesn't matter what the experience was, as long as it elicits feeling, then it was good. And the only feelings that Scripture tells us that we should depart with are feelings of conviction and feelings of righteousness. They should be the fruits that are born from the Scriptures, or at least exposure to them. The Scriptures will break your heart 
at awareness of sin, but it would also make you whole unto salvation. Paul says, faith comes by hearing, by the preaching and the presentation of the word of God. And so it's scripture alone that has the authority to save. It's not Brother Ben. It's not how clever I put this sermon together this past week or how much time I did or didn't have. It's not any of that. It's scripture alone that has the authority to save. My words are of little consequence than what scripture has already said. Scripture alone has the capacity that no other source on the earth has, at least in a transformational capacity. So what have nations and what have dictators and what have people done around the world? Well, they banned it. They burned it. They criticized it. They've reduced it to little more than fiction or fairy tales or fables. They were doing it in the early church as I just read to you 2 Peter chapter 1. They were doing the exact same thing then, and they have not changed their theme to this very day. This is true because once Scripture opens the eyes of the blind, once it opens the ears of the deaf, once it opens the mouths of the mute, it begins a process that no other person on the planet can contain. Christians become convicted. They become people of principle. The second thing that Paul says in our text today that Scripture is good for is doctrine. It's sufficient for doctrine. It's, it's, as he says in this word, profitable for doctrine. And I know we get to this point in our, in our, in our Christian life and we're like, you know what, I'm doing good and I love Jesus and I love my church and I love my brothers and sisters. And doctrine is just kind of like, bleh. Ugh. We've got to do doctrine today. We've got to learn. We've got to learn the, the nuts and bolts of why and what I believe. Yes, you do. Doctrine, quite simply, is the nuts and bolts of what you believe. Right? It's not good enough to just say, well, this is what I believe. You have to know why you believe it too. That's doctrine. Right? And doctrine matters. Doctrine is important. I know that there's a time and a place for all things, but doctrine is important because it instructs us what to believe so that we don't believe anything to the contrary. God has already spoken in his word clearly. He has closed the canon of scripture, and he doesn't intend for there to be anything else added to it or taken away. Doctrine properly aligns our beliefs with God's. Amen? That's what it does. It doesn't do it in the reverse, by the way. It doesn't take God's beliefs and align it to our own. It takes our beliefs and aligns them to God's. And it does so through Scripture. Because without biblical doctrine, anything becomes permissible. Anything can be truth. And if it stays truth long enough, it becomes established. And if it becomes established long enough, entire generations can grow up never questioning or knowing the difference. If God said it, let it be established forevermore. If God didn't say it, far be it from us to speak where he didn't. This seems to be where modern man is actually quite busy. Modern man is the type that believe he has ascended to the heights of understanding that now surpasses that of even God. 
He somehow thinks that he is permitted to take Scripture and use it more as a means to an end. And so he does so by preaching entire sermons that are either empty of Scripture or completely contradictions to it. And I think that's where discernment of the body is important. Because if a man stands in a pulpit and he declares any other gospel that was preached other than Christ, let him be accursed. That's what Paul says. Let him be anathema. Because he is presenting a gospel that is false. He is presenting something that he believes rather than what God has declared. And so the scriptures are profitable for doctrine. They're also, thirdly, profitable for reproof. Now, another biblical word to help you with that word is conviction. The Bible, the scriptures are good for conviction. I love this too because when properly applied, reproof is the conviction that, design, that is designed rather to persuade us of our wrongdoing. Now, I know, I know in a modern world that, that really loves to feel good and f- just fuzzy all the time and they love unicorns and they love, you know, glitter and all these other kinds of things. Conviction seems to be a word that we push back against. Well, if I feel bad, it must be wrong. Because God would not want me to feel bad. God would want me to be what? Happy. Oh, God is only concerned about your happiness. He just wants you to be happy. No, he doesn't. He wants you to be conformed to the image of his son. And sometimes that means feeling bad. Sometimes that means pain. In fact, the Bible says, those whom I love, I chasten. And I've never endured a chastening that was pleasant. I've always endured them that were painful. They're designed, the pain is designed to leverage persuasion that you are wrong and that God is right. That is the beauty of reproof. And as we partner with the Spirit in that conviction, we have the benefit of knowing, the benefit at least of knowing that the Spirit maintains righteousness in our life. Look, conviction is good. It's good. Why? Because it says, it tells you, it informs you that you belong to God. If there was no conviction present in your life about wrongdoing, if you weren't concerned about doing something wrong, I would be worried for you. I would be worried about myself if the Lord never convicted me of wrongdoing. But because he does, it it tells me that he loves me. It tells me that he cares for me. It tells me that he's concerned about if if I keep on this trajectory, that I'm going to deal with consequences that are even more painful. One of the more beautiful pictures in Scripture is that of pruning. Uh, Those whom God loves, he prunes. If you've ever been through a season in life of pruning, you know how painful that can be. And all it is, and I think sometimes it's miscommunicated. I think people receive this instruction from God wrong or this reproof. They, they think that God is punishing them. They think that, God is, that they've done something wrong and that, that God is punishing them. No, he's just he's, he's removing the dead parts of your life that don't bring him glory so that he can grow fruit in your life that does. But that process is painful. 
It hurts. And if you've ever been through a season of pruning, you know what I'm talking about. But rest assured this morning that if we find ourselves at odds with something the Scripture has said, we can be confident that it is not God who has the problem. The Scriptures are not wrong. You are. They are the plumb line. They are the standard. And if we change that standard, then we have modified God's word and have brought condemnation on ourselves. What God told the original writers, hear me, hasn't changed. Amen? I love that too. I love that. Because my goodness, if I were preaching from a word, if I was preaching from a text or a scripture that had the ability or capacity to change... I'd throw my hands up in defeat. But what God told Paul, what God told Isaiah, what God told Moses, he hasn't changed one dot or one tittle. The word of God endures. It will long after you and I are gone. When heaven and earth pass away, the word of God will endure forever. Fourthly, correction. Word of God is sufficient for correction. So it saves us, it tells us what, it tells us why, it convicts us when we violate it, and then it corrects us where we're wrong. It's if, if, the, if, if, the, if the scriptures were only good for conviction, then how would we ever know what to do right? Amen? I know this is a big part of disciplining children, for example, that if all we do when we discipline somebody, is tell them where they're wrong. Then we've only administered half of the discipline. The other half is to show them how to do right. And God's word is good for believers to do. God's word will point out where you're wrong, but it also will show us how to do right. God has this in mind when he wrote the scriptures If we will read to understand, we'll find that God's word is good for ironing out the wrinkles in our life. Taking the the jagged edges and smoothing those off. It's it's, it's good really to just say, hey, here's Christ. Here's, Here's the standard. Here's how you conform to this. Now, this is a big part of my counseling. People come to me and they 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 come to me, they know the scriptures. In fact, many of them are men and women of God who have loved God all their lives. They know the scriptures. They've known them since they were children. They know all about that. They just don't know how to put their lives back together. They don't know how to apply the scriptures in their own personal lives. They know it. They they know that God says we are to forgive. But you know what? Forgiveness is hard sometimes, isn't it? I mean, we, we have within us the capacity to because God forgave us through Christ. But sometimes it's hard for us to forgive others when they've wronged us. And God's not asking us in those capacities to forget. He's asking us to forgive. Because for our sakes, God forgave us. It's hard, though, to leverage grace and mercy when punishment is what is deserved. It's hard to forbear. It's hard to be quiet when you really want to talk. 
It's, it's really hard to do those things. And we know that Scripture says that we, aren't, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't even to, to, to even look at others in a lustful way is to commit adultery. We know that's to be true, but it's hard to not do it. We know these things inherently, intrinsically, but we don't know how to apply them. We know that Scriptures say, Thy word have I hid in my heart, so that I might not sin against thee. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, as we sang earlier. And so many today find themselves in trouble because they don't keep the scriptures in the forefront of their lives. And this is where the, the, the last part comes in after correction is this instruction in righteousness. I think one of the, one of the, the most... Uh, how did we, we mentioned even this in Sunday school, I don't remember how we said it, but one of the most neglected areas of the Christian life is in this last part, right? Because we, we, we we maybe we know we're saved, maybe we know what we believe and why we believe it, you know, maybe, maybe we're sensitive to the Spirit and, and we know when the Spirit is convicting us of sin and, and we may know how to correct that mistake, Right, by the way, and I'm sorry goes a long way. <laughs> amen. It, husbands and wives, amen. I'm sorry, honey. Goes a long way. There's power in that. Right? We know how to correct that. But then how do we live in the ongoing righteousness? Right? The Bible uses the word sanctification. That's a big word. It's a, it's a, it's a big doctrine. But it is largely... One of the more neglected principles of Scripture. This ongoing conformity to the image of Christ. Yep, we were saved, positionally sanctified. Hallelujah, we're going to see the Lord. But that's not it. You have the rest of your life to live, amen? And if you live like you did when you were 14, you're in trouble. You need to be continually daily conformed to the image of Christ. That is the instruction in righteousness. Okay? That is the ability to partner with the Holy Spirit and the Scriptures and allow our lives to look more like Christ. This is the entirety, the purpose of Scripture. You should be learning new things. You should be growing in new ways, understanding more depth to the, to the Word of God, understanding more how you are presently aware of your own sin and how to combat that, its presence. And as I said a minute ago, so many people today find themselves in trouble because they don't keep the Scriptures in the forefront of their lives and their habits. They know. They know all the things that the, God, the Bible says. They know it all. But if you don't keep that out in front of you, Satan will tempt you. And when he tempts you, it will be devastating. Because the only thing that you have to combat the works of evil in your life is the word of God. And if it was good enough for Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, it's good enough for you. If it was good enough for Michael as he opposed Satan, it's good enough for you. It, it can and will sufficiently rescue you from temptation. 
giving you instruction on how to do that, how to live a life that pleases God. Now, let's get to this last part because I know, what time is it here? Oh, yeah, them ladies are over there singing, how long is he going to go? Turkey's going to get cold. We can't be having cold turkey on Sunday morning. So how does this, how does this apply? Okay, so the word of God is there. God, Paul gives us all the, the profitableness of it. How does sola scriptura profitable for you today? What's, what's the goal? What's the purpose? If it started 500 years ago with the Reformation, sola scriptura is still good for us today. Well, the first way in which it's good is that sola scriptura establishes God's word as truth. And I know that sounds like a duh statement. All of us sit here today and we're like, duh. But in a world of relativity, in a world where everything's kind of subjective and that I can make my own truth, this matters. Amen? It matters especially when this chicken comes home to roost. Matters. That God's word is true. It matters that the doctrines and the reproofs and the corrections and the instructions of righteousness are all present in your home, in your life. Because when problems come, and they will, it's good for us to have the truth, God's word, to stand on. Truth has become a subjective word. It has become fluid. It has become redefinable depending on the circumstances or the situations. In fact, we have seen an explosion of professionals and experts in our world today. Never seen more professionals and experts in my lifetime than I do right now. Turn on the TV, everybody's an expert in everything. Amen. It's like, well, we got so-and-so on here to talk about this, and they're really just going to tell you what you need to know. Oh, so that's what experts do now. So they're pushing agendas, pushing ideologies. They're pushing things that are onto you, and they don't want you to question it. Why? Because they're the expert. Look, as your pastor, question everything. Your soul depends on it. Your soul desires this to be true for you. And the, the, the beauty of it is that despite the experts, despite the professionals, God's word stands alone as the only unchanging voice in all of this noise. Every single voice, as it bumps up against the integrity of God's word, it has no choice but to retreat. This has been true since Genesis chapter 1. And as God's word has been canonized into scripture, into scripture, it has not changed. Thus, we can have the confidence that what it says is true, is true. And the world can like it or lump it. They can't change it. It is what it is. They can try. They can look for new discoveries. They can try new inventions. But nothing they have learned throughout the centuries, throughout the millennia, have ever refuted God's word. Even science, technology, even areas like that. In fact, all they do is the opposite. They confirm what we've always known to be true. I mean, Pilate himself even found himself exasperated by his own inner conflict when standing before the Son of God himself. 
When wrestling with the true identity of God's son, he asks Jesus a question that every human being must reconcile in themselves about the truth of God's word. Jesus being God in the flesh, the word of God from the beginning. Amen? What is truth, Pilate says, to which Jesus responds, and hear this, I have come to bear witness of the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And this answer cuts to the core of what qualifies as truth. It's the only definition that matters because it comes from heaven. Doesn't come from man, doesn't come from my mouth, doesn't come from any other source other than God alone as revealed by Scripture. Secondly, sola scriptura establishes God's word as authoritative. This is beautiful too. Because this means that compared to all other voices, God's word is the only one that's got any weight or any kind of capacity to be trusted. Why? He tells us in verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Peter told us earlier that no scripture has ever been given, but that was given by God to man. And as they were inspired to write, what they wrote carried authority. This is another area of conflict that our modern world seems to struggle with. Because everyone has their own version of what true today, what, what truth is. And the problem with this is that their version of truth is not authoritative. I mean, you can, you can sit around all day long and think that boys can be girls and vice versa. That doesn't make it true. Amen? And we can believe all day long that marriage can be anything, but mo- anything more rather than one man and one woman for life. But that doesn't make it true. We can... We can Decide this morning not to believe that God is the designer of the universe, that the Bible is worthless, that the church is unimportant, that Christ isn't coming back. But that doesn't make it true. Anybody can claim anything that they want, but they don't carry with it authority. In fact, people are certainly permitted to live in these, quote, truths if they want but they are not free from the consequences that these truths bring. Brokenness, depravity, emptiness, loneliness, hopelessness, and ultimately, separation from God. Because you see, the only authority that has any bearing in our life is Scripture. And as God's words, God's word gives to us the nuts and bolts, it also brings with it wholeness. That's what he says in verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work, wholeness, right? And and I don't mean this Eastern mysticism kind of thing where you meditate and you find your inner person and you just be the best person that you can be. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about an inner presence of the Holy Spirit in your life and the obedience of Scripture that brings wholeness to your life that rids you of diseases, spiritually speaking, that rids you of problems and concerns of the world, it brings you peace, joy, life, 
It even brings wellness because it has the authority to do so. And then lastly, sola scriptura makes the believer complete and thoroughly equipped. This is where this is where we begin to follow the instruction in righteousness. The being complete and thoroughly equipped is the ongoing work of the scriptures in our lives. Call it sanctification, as we called it earlier. The process, though, of being conformed into the image of Christ. It's the process of pruning. It's the process of, of, of chastening. It's the process of rebuke. Because God's desire for us is to be fruitful. It can be painful, but its goal is to make us complete. I want to read to you a couple of verses before I close. James, the brother of our Lord, said this. In his opening epistle, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be complete, lacking nothing. Peter, in his opening words in his second epistle, says something similar. He says this, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten what he was cleansed from his old sins. You see, the point to these two scriptures is to say that the scriptures are sufficient, as Paul said to Timothy, to make us wise unto salvation. They are, they are, they are enough, sufficient to empower us to live lives of righteousness. They are sufficient for matters of wholeness. And it's because the Word of God has the capacity to equip us in ways that nothing else can. You know, you're going to go out into the world and you're going to find all kinds of suggestions, self-help. You know, that's a big thing right now. You know, if I just set my mind to it, I can overcome these things because every day is Friday and, you know, everything's coming up roses and all that kind of nonsense. It's nonsense too, by the way. Every day's not Friday. There's Sunday and there's Monday and Okay, never mind. Y'all didn't get it. Um, You're going to go out there and you're going to find these things. They're out there. But none of them will help. None of them will give you hope. Because only God's word has been established forevermore as that source. And so this morning as we close, may the words of God endure forever. May they endure beyond our lives. May they endure into the future to the glory of God because they are all that matter. Amen, church? Let's close. Father, we thank you this morning as we close this sermon. Father, we do so, uh, Father, with your glory in mind. Thank you for this text this morning. Thank you for this, this message. Uh, Father, as it, it gives to us uh, the, 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 the sufficiency and the authority and the inerrancy of Scripture. And Father, we know, too, that as we rest judiciously on these words, uh, Father, that we we can partner with you and, and, and the Holy Spirit that, that we can live lives of righteousness. Father, as your word says, we can be more than overcomers through Christ Jesus, 
our Lord. Father, that's not pie-in-the-sky theology as many would want to reduce it to. Father, it is the hope of the generations. Father, it is the, it is the, the prize on this side of eternity that we can partner, that we can, that we can have the sacred scriptures, the very words of you, Father, for all matters of salvation and righteousness. So, Father, this morning as this comes to a close, I pray that those who are lost may see the light. Father, that those who are living in sin will find conviction. Father, that those who are living lives of backsliding or waywardness or whatever the case may be may find reproof. Father, may they may find conviction. And Father, they may find restoration in righteousness. Father, I pray this morning that as we read your word and the preaching of it now goes forth, Father, that it accomplishes that which you desire. Father, may your will be done as we, as we end this message and we open the altar. Father, may your will be done in all things. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. And all your dreams have fallen.